Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the circuit. I am Ben Beharin. Greetings, programs. I'm Jay Goldberg. Well, Jay, the circuit is 20 episodes old. All right. <laughs> seminal, seminal episode number 20. Thanks for everybody coming along for the ride. I've gotten some reviews. I've gotten yes. some reviews. People have passed on comments to me. Um, I had one very old-time EDA professional say that what we talked about was reasonably accurate. Reasonably accurate. Which is really high praise for someone like that. Reasonably Agreed. accurate. Agreed. Uh, my, my friend Alan, uh, his wife caught him listening to this podcast, and her review was, what the hell are you listening to? <laughs> which which I take as us, we're speaking to our demographic. Right? That's right. That's right. Yes. I love it. So thank yeah. you, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yes. And, and again, for all the great comments that we get. Um, it's much, much appreciated. We're glad that semis are hot again and there is enough interest that we can have a, have a podcast. Um, all right. So today we're going to talk about Apple and their approach to silicon. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Anybody who casually observes this space has, I'm sure, noticed that over the course of the now 10-ish or so years, Apple's been making their own silicon, maybe just shy of 10 years. Uh, they've gradually made more and more silicon as a part of all of their products. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because I've had some conversations with, uh, with, with some friends internally there. And to hear them talk about, you know, their approach, there's this phrase that kind of is repeated that I think is actually a helpful perspective on how Apple thinks about this, that um, Apple doesn't think of themselves as semiconductor designers. They think of themselves as SOC designers. And, you know, ultimately it's really about that brain, even though they have components and companion components from um, ISPs to display drivers to hosts of other things, uh, it's really about that SOC and they think about it, right, by bringing as much as they can onto that one product because their marching goal is performance per watt. And by embedding, right, just the more you can bring onto your SOC that, that makes the most sense and and uh, is this the most efficient approach when you when you take a performance per watt um, mentality. And, and that's really, you know, the kind of thing I constantly write about whenever there's a new thing about Apple Silicon. I'm like, all right, here again was the, the, the framing of the Silicon team, Johnny Srugi and others that they're in relentless pursuit of performance per watt. And I just, you know, I know everybody is now like everybody says, Hey, we want to be performance per watt. It's just that that has been Apple's kind of arch as they thought about their products, their designs, how they do SOCs, and then the benefits that that approach brings, you know, largely to their product line. You know, I, I, I regularly tell people that Apple is the best-run semiconductor company on the planet. And I, I, think, that's, I think that's still true. They've, they've been fraying a little bit around the edges, but I still think that's largely true uh, because o over those past 10 years or so, they've managed to keep their silicon design cycle in lockstep synchronization with their hardware design cycle, their product life cycle, and their software design cycle, which is incredibly hard. Like n no, no company has ever been able to do this consistently for that long 
let a, let alone across all those areas. It, it's it's phenomenal. Like I re- I remember the handset companies in the you know early two thousands, they'd always be missing something because somebody's chip would be late or somebody's software would be late, and that would really wreck their results. And we've we've never had a major hiccup where the iPhone had to get delayed for for months because the chip was late. Right? I mean, they can't they they have to you know they had to build it around that notion. iPhone comes out every year. It's fundamental to the company. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure there have been trade-offs or there things that they wanted to ship something and they couldn't, so they had to change plans. But just the fact that from the outside, we've never really seen any serious disruptions is just incredible. It's an incredible accomplishment. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. You know, and if, if anything, right, people could claim, well, you know, why didn't they, um, you know, ship the uh, the – the, the current processors, right, across the board in later generation products, right? They had older-ish chips in current products, but that wasn't their fault. That's really a matter of supply supply constraints in the um, in, at, at TSMC and others. They just couldn't get enough chips, right, to do to bring those products across the line. And that's probably going to be the case this time, right? This the the iPhones at the end of this year, the pros will probably ship with a three nanometer TSMC product. And the um, older models will not. And that's just, again, by nature of they can't get enough supply from TSMC for their whole lineup. Yeah, I think that's that's been the, a big limiting factor. There, there are some rumors around the Apple M3, their CPU for laptops, that it was delayed because they had some problems with uh, they weren't happy with power performance for the GPUs or something. I mean, that's, that's all it's all rumor and speculation. Um, but I, I'm sure we'll see the M3 soon. We should note we're recording this on May 25th, and WWDC is now what ten days away. So I'm sure we'll get something on all these fronts. Some updates ten, then. I, I think there's a big hope from the community that the uh, elusive true Mac Pro kind of comes out. That's the one holdout to the Mac Pro line on this whole. You know, we're gonna we're gonna shift our entire portfolio from Intel over the course of two years. It's going on now, two and a half-ish years, and that's the last one. I think I think there's a lot of hope and, 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 and optimism that we'll see something like the beast of all beasts from a, from a, an M series chip in this pro product. Yeah. I mean, if I had to guess, I'd say yes, but the, the Mac, the Mac pro line has always defied yes. rational predictions. Yes. You know, the, the, the overarching sort of, when I go back to like this, this philosophy, like, one of the things I think about, because I get this question a lot, especially from those in the semiconductor industry who are just worried that Apple will stop using them, you know, what, well, what chips will they make, right? Which, which bits of silicon will, will they embark on? And, and my, my overall theory has always been, well, whatever has the most positive impact on the customer experience, meaning like if they did this, they'll make the customer experience better, is kind of where they will make, make silicon, yeah, I, I think that you you hit it right on the the nail right on the head there. From what I can tell, as an outsider, Apple has a core philosophy from Steve Jobs on, like they're really centered on human experience and the user experience. And I, to, to the degree that a company that big can have a single guiding principle, I think that permeates a lot of their, at least their high level strategic thinking and approach to sourcing. So what what's going to make the user experience better? Right, and and that's a, a big part of the reason why Apple Silicon is so focused on power performance because you know battery life yeah. matters so much in the iPhone. Yep. 
and and I think that that permeates through this. Um, you know, I've obviously done a lot of work. You and I have both done a lot of work looking at companies designing their own chips, and the the theme that always comes out is you you want to build if you're going to build a chip, you don't want to do it to save money. You want to build it because it conveys some form of strategic advantage. Right. And looking at Apple really really crystallizes that because their strategic advantage is their their the loyalty from their users or their lock-in depending on how you want to frame that yeah but a, a big part of that comes from this focus on user experience and that goes down to the to the you know component level too and so where where they can make a meaningful difference in the user experience it makes sense for them to design their own chip uh, uh, to- totally and especially because again right the costs th- this is what I think when people do a a bomb cost of you know so and so devices. Um, what gets factored out, right, is that it's not just the cost of of the chip, right? And so an example of right. this is technically, if you just did bomb cost, them moving to M series silicon for Macs was actually a cheaper alternative than Intel. But they have a massive silicon you know design team. There's a lot of R and D. I mean, it costs hundreds of millions of dollars to design a new chip. So when you balance all that out. It's really hard to calculate, but the reality is is that it's 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 not it's not more expensive or it's not less expensive. So so you're exactly right, and and ultimately, to your point, right? If if we have this view that there is an element of them that is functioning like a semiconductor company, their costs are rising right across the supply chain, across all of their partners. So it's it's again, it's not like they're immune to the same price inflections that's happening at their foundry partners or with wafers or whatever, every, everybody in semis is going up in So Apple's not immune to that just because, you know, they, they design their own chips. Yeah. And, and we saw that during the pandemic, right? They, they were, you know, they, they forego, forewent, for, they had, they lost a lot of revenue because they couldn't get enough supply on shelves when people wanted products. Yep. Uh, and that was all down to, supply constraints and and they were in you know the they they were everyone's number one customer so they were top of the queue and even still they couldn't get everything they needed yeah and it is you know it is interesting how is as a part of this broad um you know dynamic to your point like how app apple is a priority like a high priority for most of their partners because essentially like if you're you know if you're broadcom or if you're infineon or if you're Name your company, right? In this case, TSMC. A- Apple's almost guaranteed scale, and so it, it it does warrant some level of prioritization. And sometimes they pay a lot up front, or they'll pay a lot for two years of volume up front. So, like, there's predictable and consistent income there at very large levels. It's it, it's hard to not prioritize that that customer within the supply chain. But even that got hit with all of these different dynamics that that we saw via um, in COVID. Yeah, but but now we're getting into some questionable territory because when it comes to Apple's relationships with its vendors, that's a pretty fraught relationship. Um, having worked for several Apple suppliers, being a, having Apple as a customer is is very much a double edged sword. Right. Everybody wants them because they have this huge huge volume, and they're going to be your number one customer. Yep. But what Apple gives, Apple can take away, and they are not afraid to do that on a on a drop of a dime. 
Yeah, they're your best friend until they're not. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even use the F word in that context. I, right. I don't think any Apple Apple vendor, Apple supplier, thinks of Apple as a friend. Best best customer until they're not. Although, until uh, not. yeah, biggest uh, customer. With, however, the exception of TSMC, and I'll say this because I, I was in a meeting with a number of semiconductor executives the day that the PA Semi deal was announced, and and it was fascinating because there was a pretty large consensus amongst these 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 gentlemen that it was only a matter of time then before Apple would buy a foundry or start their own foundry. Right. And and you know, and I wrestled with that for a long time because uh, to our point, right. It, well, what strategic advantage does that give? Does that give you? And and I think the answer just constantly came back to zero. I mean, for, first of all, how in the world? I mean, unless again, unless Apple bought TSMC or somebody who has access to leading edge um, lithography machines from from ASML, like it's not like they're just sitting on shelves, right? Where, where are you going to get those? And and ultimately, they essentially own several floors at TSMC. That's basically theirs. That nobody else has. Like this is just allocated capacity. So, in, in a way, it feels very much like a joint venture, especially the priority that TSMC gives them, as well as the ridiculous amount of money that Apple gives to TSMC. That's essentially f- uh, f- subsidizing the costs of every note, and I feel like that gets underappreciated in this dynamic of how great TSMC is doing. I constantly say this, like, if it wasn't for Apple, I'm just not sure that they would be in the same position today as they are. Yeah, Apple is, is very interesting in how they approach their their customer relationships. Obviously, there's a lot of tension there. Um, but Apple is has been for years really, really good at leveraging its suppliers in ways that its, its peers just can't and getting... A, a, a big R&D boost from their relationship with their vendors. They have, In a lot of cases, they have their vendors do the R&D for them. And I think TSMC is a perfect example of that. And you used to be able to track this. Like Apple's R&D for a long time was, was you know, several points below industry averages. Right. right. Because they were getting their suppliers to do the R&D for them. Right. It gets it, it. You can't see that as much on the numbers today because Apple's doing so many different things. But I, I, I still think that philosophy is true. Yes. Right. I, I I've written about this a, a few times. It, it just when Apple goes to a vendor, they they put them through their paces. Like really, they send. They'll have some somebody working on whatever category, whatever segment, who has a PhD, right? A PhD in that that area, and then we'll go to the vendor, and just wear the vendor down with question after question after question. Right, and it'll start with the CEO, and he'll run out of answers, and it'll go to the VPs, and eventually, the Apple engineer will get down to the, like, the you know the front line, in engineer who's doing the work, and right, how does this work? How does that work? All back to sort of first principles, and at, and through that process, they essentially have co-opted. The the you know you get down to some very low level fundamental choice, and the guy from Apple is in the room, asking you. Why you, why did you do option A? Option B looks better. Right. You're gonna give op, you're gonna go with option B just to get him out of the room. Yep. Right. And then and then the Apple engineer will go to the next your competitor the next day and do the same thing. And then a month later, the the purchasing people, the operations people, will show up and say, "We'll have the same sort of uh, process torture session to get pricing where they want." Yeah. It's it's very deliberate, and and I I know that I've talked to lots of vendors that 
who all say that Apple's the only one who does that, right? Mm. For most of the other handset makers, just sort of take what the what the salespeople give them. Yep. Yep. Right. Well, and, and, and it, it, it really has benefited them. Uh, yeah. Well, and I think that's the key point. It, it's interesting how much effort they put into that, wh- whether it's because, A, it, again, that work that they put in with their partners gives them a sustained and differentiated advantage, or two, makes things more efficient. Like, maybe it just makes assembly more efficient. And and I remember there was this rumor that, I'm not going to name him, but somebody in a head up of, uh, of, of design at Apple went to Foxconn and was like, um, I think we could make things a bit more efficient and actually helped with some very specific tooling techniques, in some cases designed them, that, that Foxconn then used and benefited. And I'm sure that helped other customers, but it made their manufacturing more efficient and more specifically to do the kind of things that Apple wanted to do. Because as I've recant this being told this story, there was a, we can't do that. And I was like, well, you can, but you got to make this little thing here. And again, <laughs> they funded the development of that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It, yeah. It, it, there, there are a lot of examples of that where Apple uh, s- shares shares knowledge around the industry, um, sometimes in a good way and sometimes in a <laughs> tougher tougher way. Tougher way. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be oblique here. Yes. But it, it's um, yeah. They they they. I I guess what's interesting to me is that Apple is once they're interested in something. To your point, they are absolutely willing to fund it. I mean, they have so much money in the bank. Um, they're like, oh, Foxconn, you need a few billion dollars to build that new line? Sure, here you go. Right, which I, very few other companies will will ever do. Yeah. Um, right, or certainly not to the extent, no one does it to the extent that Apple does it, where they're just laying down billions of dollars of upfront payments to get things the way they want it. Yeah. And, and that differentiates them from from everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting too. We, I, I think when you, when you when people analyze Apple and they say, okay, well, what are their competitive advantages? You know, for a long time it was, well, they've got you know retail. They've got um, they make you know they're they're very they're very in line with their business organizations, right? That's a one one P and L functional organization. There's the you know they design their own hardware and their own software, right? So those two things. And I think this. Silicon has become an emerging pillar of their differentiation because it comes up in almost every competitive conversation with 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 people who compete directly or indirectly with Apple just how much they keep pushing the envelope and and what the impact is overall right from a from a not just competition but ecosystem but I I've long sort of stated like that is now a fundamental pillar of their competitive advantage is their silicon roadmap and their silicon strategy that's right. I mean, no, nobody else, nobody else can be tempted. Like in the PC space, Dell and HP, yeah, they're not going to design their own chips. Um, nope. Xiaomi, Oppo, Vivo, uh, the handset companies—they're all or Samsung—they're all trying to sort of do some of their own, but that's proved very challenging, right? We have we have Samsung now moving away from Exynos back towards Qualcomm on yep. a pretty broad scale. Uh, you have Oppo just last week announcing that they were getting out of designing their own silicon it's it's not easy to do and uh apple has been has made it very hard for all those companies and you i mean you see that in in all the data you know the market share data and the profit share data and asps for their devices are just much higher as a result of all this yeah yeah 
it's 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 interesting too, you know, this whole question of like design in, design out. Um, you know, an, another company that we talk about frequently, right? Qu- Qualcomm is essentially saying, "Hey, we're you know, we're going to lose them. We're trying to prepare right investors to that now." P- personally, I think modems are really hard, like in some cases even harder than Apple embarked down, which which to some degree makes this new relationship with Broadcom interesting to the degree that there's IP there that helps Apple make said modem. Um, but that is going to be a really interesting one f- for me to watch, whether or not their modem is even remotely competitive with Qualcomm, let alone available on every gro- global frequency with ease, right? One device, every every planet. I just, I think that's really hard. But But you see the impacts of that starting to play out about well, if they did do that, that's a pretty substantial revenue hit to Qualcomm, and which is why they're guiding or trying to timid ex- expectations uh, around the financials for that. Yeah, and I, I think I think now we're we're getting into this area of the limits of what Apple can do, right? And you know, you you said somebody, you know, back back in two thousand eight when they bought PA Semi, thought, oh, are Apple going to buy a foundry now? Um, I, I still get that question to this day. Like, I still mm-hmm. have investors asking about that potential. Uh, and I think there, there are limits, right? Um, they're not going to buy a foundry. There was a lot of speculation last year that they were going to start making their own RF products and displace right. Broadcom. Or, right, or buy Skyworks. And that's clearly or, not going to happen. Yeah, right. Or buy Skyworks or Corvo. Those, yeah. Corvo, yeah. And, and that's, that's, they're, they're clearly not going to displace Broadcom right now mm-hmm. or anytime soon. And, I think it's it's interesting if you actually go back and look in 2000 and I forget my dates, but 2000, I, I wrote about it this week. About 10 years ago, Apple acquired the connectivity team, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, GPS team out of Texas Instruments, right? Texas TI was moving out of handsets and they sold their design team for connectivity to Apple. And that's, it was 10 years ago. We, that product has, it has, it has appeared in the Apple watch and that's it. It's never been in the phone or the TV Right or the or the or the MacBook, um, and I, I you know I, I think Apple products in general struggle a lot with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi connectivity issues. I always that's a source of frustration um, I have with them, and I think it's just because this is hard to do. It's different than designing a processor. There's a lot of mixed signal work that has to take place, and that's not right. Hasn't been Apple's true strengths. Right. So it's interesting. Like they they couldn't get they couldn't get that to work, um, and so. Plus, they have a great deal with Broadcom for for those for those parts. Uh, there's a rumor uh, a report in Nikkei actually last two weeks ago that Apple was going to start making micro LED screens, like doing the manufacturing themselves. Again, they acquired somebody you know almost ten years ago. Yeah. And I, I think that's going to end up the same way, where they're they're not going to put micro LED screens in the iPhone. They're going to maybe put them in a little watch. And it's just right. I, I have right. to read it almost as a negotiating tactic, like. We're just going to dangle this out there, Samsung, just so you know, we're looking at screens, um, right? So keep that in mind when you come negotiate with us next time for the for the screens for the next iPhone. Right. I think that's how I how I would read that. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, right, and then we get to the question of the modem. I think there's still a lot of questions about whether or not Apple can actually deliver on the modem. Yes. You know, I... I'm 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 torn because, like I said, Apple I think is incredibly Apple Silicon is incredibly capable, but modems are hard, right? If right. they can't do Wi-Fi, what makes them think they can do cellular? Yep. And I, I so 
you know, it looks like they're on track now, but I wouldn't be surprised if it gets delayed a little bit further. Sure. Right. And, and I think one, one of, if you look, if you go back and look at Qualcomm's history, one point there's, there's, there are clear inflection points in their history when they really sort of get, lose a lot of competitors. And it basically comes with each generation, each G of the wireless standards, right? They always, every transition point, they lose a few competitors, right? 5G pretty much wiped everybody else out except for MediaTek. And I think the folks at Qualcomm would love to have 6G come very soon <laughs> because that's going to make it very hard for Apple to build its own modem. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think 6G is going to come soon enough to, to save that business, but um it's by no means guaranteed that Apple can actually succeed on the modem. Yeah. So, and, and, and going, going back to the point that we talked about, right, was that Apple essentially focuses on things that have different, clear differentiation to the customer experience. There's not much in terms of the, the wireless technology itself that are going to do better than Qualcomm. The only thing I can think of as to why you keep going down this endeavor is because it would be more battery efficient to put it onto the SOC. And they can't do that with Qualcomm, right? They can't take Qualcomm's processor, or at least maybe they could. Maybe Qualcomm could figure out some way to say, oh, yeah, you could do a chiplet and stick it on a tile, and then there you go. But you are losing some of this performance per watt by having it be a, a thin modem. So that's, that's kind of the only place I get to is they want it on the modem. I mean, they want it on the chip. Yeah, I... Qualcomm already gives Apple pretty much unprecedented access, right? They, they have access to, Apple has access to Qualcomm's source code. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a thin modem, so it's not a lot going on there. You know, it's just a modem. And Apple has the ability to integrate pretty t tightly between the, their software and Qualcomm's stack. Now, true, it can't be monolithically put into the A-series chip, which would be a savings, or some kind of integration there. You can't, right. they can't quite get that far, but they already have pretty low level access. Um, I, 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 you know, part of the, the reason I'm really curious to see what an Apple modem would do is I, I wonder if they don't have something up their sleeve that does differentiate it further to, you know, along the human experience access, hmm. right? Obviously power savings is, is the, is top of mind. But I, I, I wouldn't put it past them to have some clever scheme in mind, some sort of unified communication system that they can do when they have their own silicon that they couldn't do with somebody else's, right? And, and, and the analogy here is with the sort of the blue bubbles and text messaging, right? Mm -hmm. That all runs on Apple infrastructure. And so that's why, you know, you have blue messages when you have talking to another iPhone user. There's, I'm, I'm willing to bet there's something else they could do if they had cellular, if they had the cellular stack as well, private communication network over right. cellular, right? With, that's the equivalent of the blue the blue bubbles. Yeah, you know the other thing I've thought of is well maybe they, maybe it's not for the iPhone. Maybe I mean I think Qualcomm's making a full assumption that it is, but maybe it's for things like Apple Watch or iPad or Mac or future small things you wear on your face, right? Maybe there's another area where they're trying to solve a problem for that either they don't know if Qualcomm gets to or Qualcomm's not going to prioritize it the degree that they want it to be a prioritized for. And they're just worried that, I mean, a good example of this is like, you know, so right, everybody essentially knows they buy Qualcomm's thin bottom. 
well, will Qualcomm sell a thin modem for wearable glasses? Like they want people to buy their whole chip for that, right? So maybe they worry they can't even get that product. And so they have to solve this problem. Although I think MediaTek would be more than willing to go, we'll make you a small, a small thin modem. We'll do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean that that's always been sort of the corollary of my thought on design your own silicon. You want you want to have some strategic advantage and and the way you get that is by controlling the roadmap, right? And you know, 20 years ago when there were 20 vendors for every chip, any big customer could could essentially co-opt the roadmap of one of these small vendors. With consolidation semis, we we lost that and so companies started building their own chips. But the sort of the end goal has always been to control the roadmap. And so I think that makes sense. Apple wants its modem so it can control that roadmap to add features and whatnot. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I have to imagine that Qualcomm would be willing to, you know, make a fair number of compromises for what is twenty twenty percent their twenty percent revenue customer. I would advise that to Qualcomm on every level. Just do what they want, man. Just freaking do what they want. <laughs> But you're right. Yeah. You're right. Apple has to be taking some sort of an of an approach. But but again, I think your point about, and I think this is a really interesting part to to just keep sitting on and meditating on is like where is their limit? Like they can't do everything. It doesn't make sense for them. Like it doesn't make sense for them to do memory. It doesn't make sense for them to do. And I think your display point's a good one. Unless unless they're they don't feel anyone can make them a foldable display for some future product, and they're the only ones that can do it. Again, these companies are trying to solve problems at scale. It's just more efficient to do what you do with TSMC or others, help fund it. But those are just not the areas I think it makes sense to really own. Like I think we're nearing this border, like you say, this 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 limit of kind of where they'll go. Yeah, and I, I think the, the Broadcom case this week is a pretty good example because in addition to connectivity chips from Apple also sources uh, RF filters from from Broadcom, pretty important FBAR filters. Mm-hmm. And only, only Broadcom, I mean, Broadcom has a, a very, not quite a monopoly, but it, it's a it's a very strong position, dominant position in the FBAR ball filter market. And the, the trick about designing ball filters is in the manufacturing, right? There's a lot of expertise in just getting manufacturing yields someplace acceptable. And it's it's very hard to do, and it's really really different from semiconductor design. Like filters aren't semiconductors; they're special materials. And so, Apple Apple's not going to do this. Like, there's three companies in the world who can build these filters. Apple Apple has no desire to run a manufacturing plant that just does this because what what's the you know what's the benefit to consumers? What's the benefit right. to users? It, it's pretty minimal. Exactly. And so you know they're 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 stuck with Broadcom which I think both companies are perfectly happy with. Yeah, to- totally agree. So so, so looking forward, there's a part of this that na- now I think gets even more interesting as we, uh, as we analyze sort of Apple's approach. One thing I've said for a long time, and, and there is an advantage here, although I think a few other companies are, are getting closer, um, in miniaturization, right? Because they are... You know they're going to make small products. They make the chip for the for AirPods. They make the chip for Apple Watch, and they'll obviously make the chip for whatever headset they have and future small glasses or displays or even contacts that we put in our face wherever that weird future goes. But you have to make these really tiny chips that are super power efficient, that are capable of doing all of these things, and and you have to 
you know, fund that exercise, right? It's not cheap to keep miniaturizing silicon. And so that's an, an area where I've always thought, you know, they do this really well. They're amongst the best at doing these packages, right, or, or computers in very small packages. And they've put a lot of pressure on competition to do that. You know, Qualcomm's making some steps. They've got their XR platform, their wearable platform. But Apple pushes that, right, to its boundary. And that's kind of this next, I think, phase, which is how does, how does Apple now build out miniaturization, right, in this 10-year arc where we're going to make smaller computers, perhaps wear them, put them on our faces, things like that. Yeah, I mean, we're we're ten days out from the theoretical launch of their glasses, uh, so let's let's just wildly speculate. <laughs> yes, let's do this. Yeah, let's just wildly speculate because, right? So whatever that you know, the the big problem we all know about with glasses is power, right? And from what we can tell, it sounds like this device is going to come with a battery pack, mm-hmm. which is very non-Apple to me. Um, but there's no other way around it. Glasses, you know, they. Even if you have big, really dorky-looking glasses that Apple's going to want to do, that's not that much battery life. So you're going to need some power source. And the processors are going to have to be really, really small. Mm-hmm. Really small. And they're going to have to... I mean, it's a really heavy lift. It's a lot of graphics processing that has to take place in a really small footprint. Um, that I, if, if these glasses are really Apple-grade, you know, what we've come to expect from Apple... There's going to be some pretty magical chips involved, and I, I'm, I'm right. I assume it's going to be something they designed themselves, for sure. Uh, and as as long as we're wildly speculating about crazy things, what what if the the chips aren't square? What if they're rectangular? Rectangular, sliver shaped. Yeah. Right. I mean that that's that's my I'm, I'll, I'll put that out there. That's my prediction. They're going to have some weirdly shaped chips because it just has to fit in the form factor. You need a slightly bigger chip. And you right. Need something with a weird a weird shape. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be curious to see, I mean, you're right. Is there a custom chip in it? And and what does that look like? Is it maybe something more like the, the watch package or the AirPods package? Um, will it be tethered? I mean, I have a really strong or hard time believing that whatever is in there chip-wise is capable of this glorious 3D future in front of our eyes. So I wonder if they need to use some power from other places, meaning tether it to a Mac or tether it to your phone. Um, I'll be very curious about that. Um, and, and the other speculation, and this gets interesting too, and I'm not sure I believe this, but I think you've said this and others, is that, well, maybe, like, will it have an M3? I, I don't think we have the timing for M3, but anything that's that early in a process like M3 is going to get really hot. And so then I'm kind of worried about, well, how hot's it going to get, you know? And so that's why there's this weird challenges. But, but to the point you said, like, if it's, if it's what we expect from Apple, I think there's a lot about this that's very un-Apple, to, to be honest with you. And that to me is one of the also interesting observations. Like, this is not like anything that they've really done before, with, with the exception of I saw people make this correlation. What if it's like the Mac, which was very early and took time to develop, but basically fundamentally started a paradigm shift in, in computing. But other than that, of the of the Apple of the last 12-ish, you know, 14 years, maybe 20 years, this is this is very different and and out of character. We'll we'll see, right? Because maybe they're gonna just blow us all away 
Yes. Right? I mean, it's, a, it's again, the rumors are it's a $3,000 device with a yes. $1,600 bomb. Um, that, that, that's the part that sort of gets me like, that's a big number. Um, I, I, you know, Apple, it's interesting. They, this is the curse of success is like, everybody's expecting them to change the world again. Right. And the, the company that launched MacBooks and MacBook airs, and then the iPhone weren't, you know, the biggest company in the world. They were small and scrappy and fighting to survive, at least for yeah. some of that. Now, now they're in a very different position. And so uh, it, you know, it's it's not life or death for them, but it's still pe- people assume it's going to be magical. What if it's just a really good device and it's not magical? Um, yeah, right. I mean, like iPad. Like, I mean, people people will get upset about it. Like, the stock right. will be off, but it's still like, <laughs> right? Oh, we've just created another iPad. Well, fine. That's a, what a ten yeah. billion dollar business. Like, you know, yeah. the iPad alone would be a Fortune one hundred company. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'll take that. Yep. Uh, but I, you know, I'm. I'm curious to see if, like, it's it's Apple, so I'm going to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, and they're going to have some things that do surprise us. Like, like sure. the one I'm I'm really focused on is the battery pack, right? If there's a battery pack, does it actually is it actually tethered with a wire, which seems un Apple like, or mm. do they use the human body as a as a conduit for power? Mm. Because there's a a company I met in Barcelona called Ixana. They're based in Indiana that has a working demo that does exactly that. You have a battery pack and you have a phone. You can just touch both of them and you power one with the other. Hmm. It conducts through the human body. Um, that would be pretty cool if Apple could pull that off. Um, be great for Ixana because everyone else is going to need to do that too. But right, that, that's one example. I, I assume the glasses will be will have to be tethered to an iPhone. Okay. They won't be cellular in their own right because that's a big power hit. Right. But they, they have a Bluetooth connection tethered to the to the device, to the phone that provides the internet, which is, again, a benefit of having a coherent, unified communications ecosystem. <laughs> yep. Right? And so I, I, that, that's my guess is how that'll work. And I mean, I don't even know if it'll have Wi-Fi, right? Maybe it just yeah. has to be tethered to the phone, which is... Right. People will grumble about, but it's not the end of the world. Right, right. No, no you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, it's it's designed to be a developer showcase slash developer product, right? Not the kind of thing that many millions of people will have day one, even though I hope we somehow get one and then we can do this like virtually, right? So I have one on and you have one on and we're in the we're in the FaceTime world to recording a podcast. But it's always nice to be an early adopter. But yeah, this is a long time horizon. But but you're right. I think it's important to at least get the vision out there start to get developers thinking about it, start to build momentum. And then more importantly, it gives us something to talk about other than artificial intelligence. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. I don't even care what they launch. <laughs> yeah. It just let us talk about something else. <laughs> yeah. Something else. Amen. Amen, brother. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll wrap on, on this one. And, um, I, I, I misjudged my tease from last week. Our guest is in a couple of weeks, so save save the uh, save the date for that one. But we'll we'll announce that when we have it. But I'm looking forward to in in two weeks having our guest. So until then, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>